Podcast One production. When my father entered an assisted living facility in the second half of 2017, I was a bit worried, as you are. But I needn't have worried. Not at all. It was a really, really nice place. My sister and I agreed to split the costs for my dad's care, and that meant that every quarter I'd send her quite a bit of money. Now, that's not really straightforward because she lives in California, I live here in Australia. And as we learned in Series 2 of Cryptonomics, there are lots of rules and regulations in place that prevent people from sending large amounts of money overseas. Because that money can be used to finance terrorism or other sorts of behaviors that nations don't want to promote. Now, there are solutions, and the first solution that comes to mind, the big one, the one that almost anyone in my situation would think to use, it's PayPal. We've talked about PayPal before, as you'd expect because the story of cryptocurrencies is tied up with the story of PayPal. Here's what I had to say about PayPal in the first episode of Series 2 of Cryptonomics. PayPal came along at just the right time to solve a big problem. How do you pay someone in the UK for something you're buying from Australia? And before the internet, that didn't really happen a whole lot. It was too hard to buy from overseas. And if you ever needed to, then you'd go down to the bank and get a bank check for the amount required in the currency requested. It's a lot of work. That was not going to work for a site like eBay, which had tens of millions of buyers from all over the world trying to purchase from hundreds of thousands of sellers, again, all over the world. That's a lot of trade and a lot of currencies. And PayPal came along at just the right time to make that big problem disappear. Get a PayPal account, send money to anyone or receive money from anyone with nothing more than your email address. Too easy. And so PayPal became huge almost overnight. PayPal is still huge. It's huge because it's been given the blessing of the financial regulators. PayPal has done the hard work of KYC. That's know your customer. And we learned about this in episode two of series two when we interviewed Roger Wilkins, the former president of the Financial Action Task Force, the FATF. A lot of the... Payment methods, though, uh, piggyback on on banks, and a lot of people rely on the banking system still as the backbone of customer due diligence and, and KYC. Uh, but there are some exceptions to that. PayPal, for example, if you've done some PayPal, you'll know that they go through a sort of fairly um, elementary form of customer due diligence. They want to know who you are. They want some documentation and stuff like that. PayPal is big. And PayPal is safe. That makes PayPal conservative and expensive. When I moved Australian dollars to the US to pay my sister, I had to accept a fairly ordinary exchange rate for them. And when PayPal is the only game in town, you have to play by their rules and pay their prices. But it's fast. My sister got the money within a few minutes and it's reliable. It just works. Now, cryptocurrencies came along and changed the game because suddenly it became possible to move money anywhere nearly instantaneously at almost no cost. And that's great, except, again, as we learned in Series 2, cryptocurrency can and has been used to pay for illegal acts, and it makes international money laundering easy. So there have to be regulations and controls, and that's what we saw happening across Series 2. Here's Tom Nalen who is the head of the FATF working group that drafted the recommendations for how to regulate international transfers of cryptocurrencies. 
this has been an unregulated sector up until now, except in one or two countries that have got a very ahead of the curve. Um, and there's a real determination up to the highest political levels, the G20, the UN Security Council, that that can't continue. The vulnerabilities to money laundering and terrorist financing are too great and it's time to implement global, consistent regulation across the whole sector. In 2019, we got those FATF recommendations for cryptocurrencies. I was in the room when it happened in Osaka during the G20 meeting. And over the next year, those recommendations became law in many countries, including the USA, Australia, and the EU. The promise that crypto could go legit that promise became real, and all of that set the stage for the introduction of Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency, designed to be an internationally acceptable form of money. Libra, well, it turns out that Libra changed everything. It certainly changed everything for PayPal. Today, I'm Mark Pesci, and welcome to episode zero of series three of Cryptonomics, a show dedicated to exploring and explaining the way cryptocurrencies and the technology underneath them, the blockchain, are transforming our entire world. Along the way, we've learned what makes it all tick, how people are using this technology to do amazing things, and what it all means for the future of money, finance, investing, and the economy. We've spoken to folks who have built successful businesses using the blockchain, some of whom have even created their own successful cryptocurrencies. We've learned how things work, why they work, and when they don't. In Series 1, we covered enough of the basics to help you make your own investment decisions. In Series 2, we learned how regulation could provide the foundation for widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies. Now... In Series 3, we see that come to pass. Crypto is coming home, and it's working its way into the core of some very big businesses, including PayPal. Over the next billion seconds, the entire world of economics, everything that's touched by money, will be transformed by these new technologies of money. It's a new way of doing business, and it's already forcing both governments and businesses to make way for it. Welcome back to Cryptonomics. Bitcoin just won't go away. You know, it's just this kind of itch that you can't quite scratch. That's Jonathan DeCarteret, the founder and CEO of Index Capital. He runs an investment fund for cryptocurrencies. You hand him your money and he gives you passive returns. Now, there's nothing new about that business model except everything about how he does it. Instead of buying a basket of stocks that are pegged to a market index, which is how a normal index fund would work, Jonathan's firm is continually pulling in data about the moment-to-moment -moment investment opportunities in cryptocurrencies. They analyze that data and then move their investments around to get the best yield for their investors. It's all exactly the same, and it's all completely different. We'll circle back to how all of this decentralized finance works in a later episode of Cryptonomics. Right now, though... There's bigger fish to fry, because on the 21st of October 2020, PayPal announced a big change in their business. Here's Jonathan again. So there was a relatively surprising announcement out of the blue from PayPal that they were entering the crypto markets by allowing the users of PayPal to pay for purchases with Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin. We've talked a lot about Bitcoin in this series. Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin, 
They're both fundamentally similar to Bitcoin. We've also talked about Ethereum. That's the cryptocurrency that contains its own computer code so that it can be used to create smart contracts. Quite literally, it's money that can think for itself. For the most part, these cryptocurrencies, even Bitcoin, have existed in a world that's separated from the world of commerce, from the buying and selling of things. Why? Well, until last year, it wasn't clear to any financial institution whether they were breaking the law by dealing with cryptocurrencies. And that kept the banks away from Bitcoin. And it kept PayPal away. Because PayPal, it needs to have good relationships with the financial regulators of all of the countries it does business in. And they can't do anything that will get them in trouble with those regulators. So until there was regulatory clarity, they stayed away. Now PayPal are jumping into the deep end and they're taking everyone else with them. What will happen practically overnight is you know, hundreds of millions of people suddenly having a crypto wallet and being able to transact in that. I think the key thing for us is you know, how many of those people are actually going to use that wallet and buy Bitcoin and start to uh, make purchases in it. That obviously is going to be a much smaller number. But what this does do in one very swift move is bring cryptocurrency to a huge population of people who are transacting already but just in fiat. Bitcoin's been around for more than a decade, but still only a few million people have ever traded in it. And only about 2 million have Bitcoin wallets. These are the secure digital files where Bitcoins can be stored until they're taken out and spent. Now, a substantially larger number of people trade in Bitcoin through exchanges, and they might have their own wallet, or they might have what's known as a custodial wallet. Think of that as a digital safe deposit box, one that is managed by your exchange. You don't need to worry about it. It just works. And these folks, whether they have their own Bitcoin wallet or they use a custodial wallet, they're about to be swallowed up by a tsunami shaped like PayPal. Here's Mark Jeffrey, an expert on cryptocurrencies and a regular guest on Cryptonomics. So PayPal is bringing Bitcoin to the 436 million members for the very first time. So just for comparison, there's about 2.2 million Bitcoin wallets in existence today. So this is a much, much larger audience of people. Uh, it's very comparable to when it, back in 1997, AOL first opened access to AOL users to the entire internet, right? So there was, you know, the internet was just us and our club of engineer nerd friends. And then all of a sudden, the stampeding herds on AOL had access to Usenet groups, they had access to email. And, and you could just tell the entire, the entire town of the internet changed overnight and forever. When AOL decided that it wanted to offer its tens of millions of users access to the still very early internet, the presence of all of those millions of users suddenly flooding online, it changed the internet forever. It became a lot less geeky. It became easier to get on, easier to use, and as a result, a lot more useful. It's possibly the single most important reason we have an internet today that is used by billions. And here we are, with PayPal about to increase the number of people with access to cryptocurrencies, people who can trade in and pay with Bitcoin by a factor of 200. That will change things permanently. 
And we can already see that change because what PayPal is offering its nearly half billion customers is something that feels quite a bit different than your normal cryptocurrencies. PayPal are not technically giving people a Bitcoin wallet. What they're doing is giving, if you like, kind of virtual wallets, which will show your crypto holdings if you buy them. They can't send it to a friend. They can only use that Bitcoin within the ecosystem. So it is very much this kind of walled garden, easy interface for people to use. Moving cryptocurrencies around, even buying it and getting it into your wallet, it's not really very straightforward. A cryptocurrency wallet is identified by a long string of numbers. It's sort of your account number, but it's known as an address. And if you want someone to send you cryptocurrency, you give them your wallet address. It sounds easy, but this is a really long number, so it's easy to get that wrong. And these wallets, they're protected by a private key. This is an encryption code that is an even longer string of numbers. And if you lose your private key, you've lost access to your wallet, and you've lost access to all of the cryptocurrency stored inside of it forever. It's actually estimated that maybe as much as a full third of all of the Bitcoin that have ever been created are now trapped in lost wallets. PayPal decided they needed to design all of that out of their cryptocurrency wallets. Here's Mark Jeffrey again. Normally in the Bitcoin universe, your private key is a big long string of letters and numbers. And knowledge of that means that you control whatever Bitcoin amount that big long string of numbers and characters is associated with. And that's why it's called a private key. You keep it private. You don't let anyone see it. Now, if I know my private key and you know my private key, then we both have access to the pile of Bitcoins associated with that private key. Now, what PayPal has said, and this this we do know, is that the end users of PayPal Bitcoin service will not have access to that private key, to their own private key. So what that means is, is that PayPal has access to that private key only. That's, that's how they can control whether you can send Bitcoin to someone else or not. And that's a problem right there. There's an important saying in, in the crypto community, which is not your keys, not your crypto. And people will not have direct access to their Bitcoin if they've got it in PayPal. If you don't own your private keys, you don't really own your Bitcoin. And there's a big saying in the crypto community, not your keys, not your coin. Why is it important to control your keys? Because otherwise, you're dependent on whoever is holding your cryptocurrency. You know, the result of this has been on several occasions when people have stored their Bitcoin on an exchange, which is sort of like putting it in a, in a crypto bank, and the exchange has lost those private keys on behalf of the consumer, the consumer has lost their Bitcoin. And this has happened on many occasions. So it is an admonition. You should control your private keys or you really, you know, you really don't have control of anything. Now, ostensibly, PayPal has better defenses against losing private keys than some of these fly-by-night crypto exchanges, right? So I would think that they probably have got it thought through a little bit better than that. But the fact remains that PayPal can keep you away from your own Bitcoin, potentially. And they can decide what you can do with it and what you can't do with it. In a moment, we'll look at what it means when half a billion people suddenly get the ability to use Bitcoin.
PayPal has changed everything about cryptocurrency. But is that a good thing? And who is it good for? We put that question to Index Capital CEO Jonathan DeCartere. So the ramifications of PayPal's move is firstly psychologically. It's another step that brings cryptocurrency into the mindset of just the generalized population. It demystifies it. It takes it out of the hands of the the kind of the techies and the boffins in the basement and puts it in the hands of, you know, people making everyday purchases. And I think that will continue, you know, I think off the back of this, that that will then give further comfort to other larger organizations to then open up to Bitcoin. The more people use cryptocurrency, the more normal that becomes and the less nervous people feel when they use it. That makes sense. It's good for Bitcoin. But Mark Jeffrey thinks PayPal has its eyes on a much bigger prize, something he calls the namespace. So one of the big questions is, you know, is PayPal embracing and extending Bitcoin uh, the same way Microsoft tried to embrace and extend uh, the internet browser, Java, all kinds of things in the 90s and even the early 2000s. It's a tactic we've seen used again and again, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Um, and the answer to that question, I think, is yes. PayPal is absolutely embracing and extending Bitcoin. And the one sort of Trojan horse in here is that if PayPal becomes the dominant Bitcoin wallet for a lot of people, then PayPal's identity for you, your email address associated with your PayPal account, now becomes your wallet. So if I want to send Mark Pesci some, you know, some some Bitcoin, uh, I use your email address in PayPal. And that becomes the namespace. That becomes the DNS for all of these Bitcoin transactions. And right now, when I want to send Bitcoin to someone, I have to know their very lengthy, very confusing looking Bitcoin address, which is a long string of number and characters. That's what I send to. And it'd be a lot easier if I could just, you know, send my Bitcoin to your email address. And that's what PayPal is doing to the Bitcoin universe, which is great. I personally love that. And, you know, <laughs> that's great for PayPal, but probably not great for everybody else. We've already talked about wallets and PayPal since they're taking the wallets away from its users. They can simply substitute the addresses it already uses for its hundreds of millions of users, which are email addresses. So sending Bitcoin with PayPal, it's going to be far, far easier than it has ever been in the world beyond PayPal. And that will set users' expectations for how cryptocurrencies should work everywhere. For most users, the PayPal Bitcoin experience will be their first Bitcoin experience. And whatever PayPal allows, doesn't allow, provides as niceties like being able to send to a face and a name or an, or an email address, that is what will forever be imprinted in the minds of you know the, the 200x times more users that are coming into the Bitcoin space. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, the first impression will be PayPal's first impression. And I think, you know, right now, uh, a lot of people, um, when they want to go search for something, they go to Google and they think of Google as the front page to the Internet. Right. Because that's the first that's one of the first things they've ever run into. So they don't they don't think of Google as just another page. They think of it as the front door. And so I think a lot of people will think of PayPal, likewise, as the front door to Bitcoin and probably a lot of the other cryptos. Mark's onto something here. PayPal wants to play the same role with cryptocurrency 
that Google does with search. That is huge. But cryptocurrencies have been around for more than a decade, and PayPal spent most of that time being very against the idea of cryptocurrencies. What's changed? Why now? Jonathan DeCarteret reckons it's all due to the launch last year of that cryptocurrency from Facebook, Libra. The kind of macro picture behind all of this is that moves like the one Mark Zuckerberg has made to release a global digital currency has put immense pressure on global central banks to introduce their own version of digital currencies. And here we come to a topic we've already covered in passing in this series, these Fed coins, that is cryptocurrencies that are issued by central banks. They were a pipe dream back in 2019, but now this topic is evolving nearly every day. While we were making this episode, Australia's Reserve Bank announced a plan to begin development of their own digital currency. This is something that the banks will use to settle accounts between themselves. Regular customers, they might never use it, might not even know it's there. But it's clear that the Reserve Bank thinks it's important to bring the banks up to speed with these new digital currencies. Because the one of these that is furthest along, it's coming out from the People's Bank of China. Now, China is the global leader on this. And the yuan, which they've already released their um, structural papers and guidance documents and have even airdropped $10 million as a test case, will no doubt be the first centrally banked released cryptocurrency. Now, that puts serious questions into the minds of large multinational organisations like PayPal because they need to start to ready themselves for this seismic change that we're about to encounter with the migration from analog money to digital money. And clearly, the best place to start with that is where this whole digital money began with, and that's with Bitcoin and these other alternative coins like Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin. I think strategically, PayPal took the decision to withdraw away from the Libra Association because of all the regulatory headaches that has come with that and you know, that turned out to be quite wise in some cases because a year on, um, Libra is still in the quagmire of, of kind of regulatory swamp. But PayPal clearly see digital currencies as the future. They need to make a start and to start to introduce some digitalization of the currencies they can accept. And so I think what they've done within this kind of very comfortable walled garden, which gives them a lot of protection and doesn't give the user a great deal of utility of what they can do with their crypto, but it does allow them to kind of start to make that introduction and enter into the crypto digital money. Facebook got nothing but trouble and pushback on their Libra proposal. Now, that may not have mattered in the long run because Facebook wanted to make sure all of its users had access to a digital currency. And Libra, it forced the hands of a lot of central banks, starting with China. So digital currencies are coming, and PayPal, PayPal wants to be prepared for it. I think the smart money is that we're now heading into a direction of digital money. And what began 11 years ago, just with an idea by Bitcoin's founder, Satoshi Nakamoto, has been a little bit of a kind of constant irritant in the background with a slow adoption that 
over time has convinced a series of businesses that have become larger and larger that they really need to to kind of look at this and adopt this. I think obviously China strategically has taken the decision to embrace blockchain. It has taken the decision to launch its own digital currency and to, and to own that space, most probably with a view to de-dollarize the world and to, to kind of exert their dominance as a currency. And so the smart money really is looking at those other major Western e-commerce giants like the Amazons, who really are going to have to start to have a policy and a strategy in place so they don't get left behind. Because clearly the investment thesis that everyone else is working on is that digital money is where it's all going. The driver, I think, behind PayPal's move is rather than to be this very kind of generous agent in the market that is trying to encourage people to use Bitcoin. I think PayPal are much more about, in this instance, that they need to innovate or become obsolete because they strategically feel that digital currencies are going to become mainstream. And there's one more thing beyond digital currencies because Bitcoin isn't used much as a payments mechanism. Yeah, PayPal is going to make that easy. But everyone else is holding Bitcoin as a store of value, a sort of digital gold. And it has held its value very well over the last decade. If you bought Bitcoin at a few dollars, you'd be up almost 10,000 times by now. That is not a bad deal. So when folks on PayPal can buy Bitcoin to pay for purchases, maybe they'll also buy it as an investment. Now, here's Mark Jeffrey, who shares a very widely held view that Bitcoin is a good hedge against inflation. You know, the, the speculation is that at some point soon, the dollar and other currencies will come down crashing hard. The bill comes due. We will have to pay the piper for all the crazy spending we've been doing. And so if that's true, and cryptocurrencies mostly hold on to their value, if not go up in value, then merchants will suddenly want to accept crypto over dollars, over other local currencies. And we're seeing that happen in some other regions of the world already. So I, I think it's probably not terribly important right now, but I do think it's on the minds of some merchants, probably the smarter ones. And Bitcoin is now, it's a worldwide brand. It's recognized like Coca-Cola, like Apple, like people know what Bitcoin is. So uh, increasingly, that is going to be the coin of the realm that people are going to want to accept, I think, moving forward. So instead of stuffing $50 notes under their mattresses, something that millions of Australians did as the pandemic rolled across the world, maybe hundreds of millions of PayPal users will be buying Bitcoin instead. It's the new gold. It's better than gold. Not only will it hold on to its value, but it will increase rapidly at some point. That's the reason why you store your wealth in it. And I think more people are going to choose that in the future. I'm not sure Mark's right here. This argument gets made a lot that printing money will cause hyperinflation and make your money worthless. That hasn't proven true. Governments printed trillions during the GFC and it didn't devalue dollars or euros or yuan just didn't happen. So while I wouldn't bank on Bitcoin being the answer to governments printing money willy-nilly, which they will be doing because of the pandemic, Jonathan DeCarteret wants us to consider that half a billion people suddenly having access to Bitcoin can't help but change the way we think about money. Mike Novogratz, who's like one of the kind of industry leaders, he's the next kind of 
Goldman Sachs Fortress director, was quoted as saying, we have now crossed the Rubicon. This is that moment when Bitcoin gets to shine. And what this now allows, potentially, is hundreds of millions of people who've always thought about Bitcoin, always heard about it. And the next time, and there will be a next time, that there's a pump, they now have this super easy, familiar and trusted wallet that they can click on in a few seconds and say, do you know what? I think I'd like to partake in that. I think I'd like to speculate on the price of Bitcoin and to do that in a very easy way. So I think that to me is just one of the key drivers and accelerators that Bitcoin um, is experiencing and that PayPal really bring to the party. Sometime toward the end of 2020, which has been a difficult year in so many respects, PayPal is going to be flipping a switch and cryptocurrencies will be both available and easy to use for half a billion people and over 20 million merchants. We honestly don't know everything that means, but it stands to reason that it could turn a half a billion people into Bitcoin believers, people who will start to convert their spare savings into cryptocurrency purchases, will start to save and invest and changing the way we use money forever. We couldn't predict the web we see today from the vantage point of 1995, when just a few million people had access to it. It was a village that suddenly exploded into a galaxy. And that's the best metaphor for what's about to happen to cryptocurrencies. Because PayPal has come to the party and so has China. That's a topic for our next episode of Cryptonomics. If you want to learn more about PayPal or China's new digital currency, cruise on over to our website at cryptonomics.show. You'll find everything there to go deeper as deep as you need to learn as much as you want. That's cryptonomics.show. Big thanks to Jonathan DeCarteret and Mark Jeffrey for coming on to our show. The Next Billion Seconds Cryptonomics was written and presented by Mark Pesci, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Mac Nikolic. If you like this show, hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who might like it too, please share it with them. For more episodes, search the Next Billion Seconds podcast, which has all of the Cryptonomics episodes along with all of our other shows. Or go to podcast1australia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. This is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.